Welcome to Living on Purpose. I'm Mark Puffrey along with my co-host, Dr. Christy Stewart, coming to you from the Circle City, Indianapolis, Indiana. And today we have Ron Branson. Who is Ron Branson? Well, we're going to introduce him right now. He is an ordained United Methodist pastor. And Christy, you've worked with him for several years, haven't you? Yeah, we've done a lot of outreach programs and the mosquito net stuff at the prison. And uh, we've done a lot of stuff together over the years. So I'm excited to have as our guest today. Absolutely. And we're going to talk about the state of the church today, right? Because we're going to talk about where it was, where it is, and where it's going, right? That's right. Don't don't turn it off. Do, yeah, don't, don't turn, turn it off. Turn off. Because, well, I think we do need some insight on this because I, I'll be perfectly honest. I have never gone to church or grew up in the church or even went to a church with a friend. You know, I, th- this is all new to me. So I think I'm going to learn something today. I hope we all learn something today, and I hope we can all take it away in a very positive. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. So, Ron, thank you so much for doing the show, and what do you want to start with? Well, it's a pleasure to be here. I, I want to start by sharing uh, some of the things that I carry in my pocket all the time, and I think the first thing is something that Christy's going to appreciate quite a bit. Uh, we work together at the women's prison, and when you're at the women's prison, whenever you come and go, they had a little chit that was on your keychain. And they had one hanging on the board and you'd trade them back and forth. And so the last time I left the women's prison, I took both of the chits. Oh, and they've got his name on him. And so, oh, yeah, so the little, little brass chits that look like huh. the state of Indiana with my name on it. Uh, and to me, what this represents is the compassion that it takes to do good work, mm-hmm. but that it's difficult. There's lots of doors you have to go through, lots wow. of barriers to cross. And so I, I carry that on my chain and have for, gosh, a number of years. We won't go into how many years, right? <laughs> wow. Yeah, no, that that is true because anybody who has ever worked or volunteered or anything inside of a prison realized it is extraordinarily challenging, but mm-hmm. the reward is, is so great as well. I have not, and, and Mark, your wife, I yep. think, would agree that we have not found ways other than maybe this show to replicate making a difference every day like you do in that environment. So that is a huge symbolism. I'm jealous. I don't have mine. Well, and the thing that's interesting (laughs) is is that that's the kind of thing that motivated me to go into ministry because, as you remember, Hmm. at that time, I don't think I was even attending a church myself. I spent 30 years outside of ministry. Grew up in a Christian family, but I spent 30 years. I would tell people that I just didn't care too much for the folks who took care of God's house, and so I just didn't have much (laughs) need for it. Okay. So... At that time, this was really an introduction for me back into ministry. The other thing that I carry around my pocket is a little pen knife, a little Swiss pen knife, and you can see that it's got a picture of Neil Armstrong. How awesome. Yes, it does. A little Swiss. A little, little Swiss, Swiss. Little baby Swiss arm and I have. I use this to open my letters, and it's got a tiny screwdriver that doesn't work for anything useful. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But, but I was nine years old when that happened. Uh. And so for me, that reminds me of where I've come from. And it reminds me that anything is possible. We can do anything. The other thing that I carry in my pocket is a little glass bead. And when I baptize people, instead of using just a a bowl of water, I put these glass beads in it so that people in the congregation can see the blue color of the... Oh, nice. And then I give them one of these to carry in their pocket, and I carry one in my pocket to remember my baptism. And the reason is because... There's a story about Martin Luther, who in some of his times when he was most pressed, he would walk through the halls in the evening saying, I'm baptized, I'm baptized, to remind himself that he belonged to God. 
Yeah, Mark hasn't, again, necessarily been around Christianity too much. No. So explain to him the significance of why baptism and and rem remembering that you've been baptized is significant. Because he, 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 I'm sure he has no clue. I was going to say, about. yeah. <laughs> so when you're baptized, that's an opportunity to be transformed in a way that is uh, spiritual and emotional, both as far as I'm concerned. Because what you're doing is is that you're making a commitment to live a different kind of life. It's an opportunity to represent your sins being washed away, you're being forgiven, and you're being invited into the community of faith as a Christian. Oh, okay, okay. And so symbolically, it's really important. And I again, I think of it as being symbolic. I, in different places, di different traditions, there's a little more um, mysticism, and I'm okay with the mysticism, but to me, it's really an opportunity to stand in front of your peers and say, I want to be part of what's going on here. Oh, gotcha. Okay. And so, so if you're talking about a church, and we're talking about churches, the problem with churches is that it's a community of people that's part of a larger community, and it has to mean something, right? That would make sense. It, it has to mean yeah. something. If you're going to be part of it, it has to mean something. And so remembering you're baptized is an opportunity to remember that even when you're in a situation where the things around you might not be going the way they should, you have a higher purpose, a bigger calling, you're connected oh. to something that's, uh, in fact, mystical. You're okay. connected and to And when God. you talk about symbolism, the color blue, we did a whole show on blue and the blue butterfly and what that symbolizes. So blue has its own significant meanings as it well. It does, so. yeah. So that's cool. You keep that to, to remind you yeah. in your pocket. Okay. And, and so when I reach into my pocket to get change out, I touch those things. The other thing I have is a nickel. I've an, actually put it in enclosed nickel. I put it in a little plastic so that it won't get worn. Mm -hmm. But it's just a Jefferson nickel. But on the back side, there's a a little image of the raft that the Corps of Discovery used when Lewis and Clark went mm. up the Missouri to find the path across the continent. And uh, the reason why I have this is because I read a book by Todd Bolsinger called Canoeing the Mountain. And I don't want to talk about the whole book, but I want to talk about the premise of the book because I think it's a great lead-in for us to talk about the things that have happened, need to happen, are going to happen in the church. Okay. Todd suggests that this is a story about people who had a preconceived idea about how things were going to work. In Europe, the way things worked is that the river went up to a point where the headwater was, and then you could cross over the little hill and there'd be another river going the other direction. And so they literally suspected that they could find the headwaters of the Missouri, cross a small mountain, or and, and find the river that would lead back out to the California coast. Okay. And so that was what the Corps of Discovery's job was, was to find this path. Okay. And so the way you do that is with a raft. So they built a raft, stocked it, got people who knew how to run a raft, did everything they needed so that they could pull themselves, raft themselves up the Missouri, and then coast down to the other side. And so it was a tough journey, but they made it to the headwaters. And when they got to the headwaters, and they crossed the mountain and came to the top of it, they looked out and they saw the Rocky Mountains. <laughs> <laughs> and there ain't no canoe in the Rocky Mountains. I was going to say, I, I was only in a small part of it, and that was overwhelming. So <laughs> yeah, There's no way you're going to pick that puppy up and carry it across the mountains. That's not what's going to happen. So... You have to learn how to canoe the mountain, is the title of his book. And to me, what that really means is, is that you are in a situation where all of the things that brought you here aren't going to take you where you need to go. 
That's awesome. That is awesome. That's know? life right there. Yeah. They're not going to, yeah. but you have experiences and you have talents and you have mm. gifts. You have things that are with you that you can use, but you can't keep using them the way you have been using them. If you do, you're not going to be able to achieve your goals. Well, you're not going to be able to go over the mountain, right? You're not going to be able to go over the mountain. Exactly. Oh. We talk about that in relationship to church. I think one of the things that's important for people to realize is, is that church hasn't always been the way it is. Christianity hasn't always been the way it is. Uh, if you go and study the historicity of the church's generations of growth, it was much, much different in the first 400 years. In fact, in the first 400 years, Christians were often persecuted. They had no formal church buildings. They met in people's houses. They actually talked about the way. They were mm -hmm. living the way of Jesus. But what happened is, is that Constantine decided to make it the national church. And once it started getting tax credits and uh, official members, the church transitioned into something that it had to have a lot more rules and format. And so the church became an organization instead of a movement. The interesting, that makes sense. The, the interesting thing about that is, is that it was kind of an organization before, you know, it was mm -hmm. a small world. There were little pockets here that thought this thing and little pockets here that thought that. And so there were lots of differences, but at the same time, they seemed to be able to mostly work together. But we've turned into a situation where our framework to help us understand who God might be has become more important than who God might be. Yeah, mm -hmm. I well said. I think that difference between being spiritual and religious, you know, a yeah. doctrine versus a seeker. Yeah. And we have to remember that religion is something that people contrive so that they can understand. So the doctrine of Trinity, for instance, isn't in the Bible anywhere, but it's been put together by people who've thought long and hard to try to understand how to uh, answer the idea that there's only one God, but sometimes in the scriptures they talk about the Spirit, sometimes they talk about God the Father, sometimes they talk about Jesus the Son. How do those three things work together? And so Trinity is just a way of trying to understand the things that they've read in their scriptures. Unfortunately, over time, we've lost the ability in many of our faith communities to recognize that those things were done and said in a particular time and place. Okay. Right. Yeah. You know, and so there's things about what was done and said that had meaning at that particular time and place mm -hmm. that when we start trying to understand it and put our own meaning on top of it, we've lost the real purpose of it. And so we've gotten to a place where we are at the base of the Rocky Mountain. And we're doing things the way we've been doing them for 40 or 50 or longer years. And things are different now. The things that got us here aren't going to get us over the mountain. And I think what's more important than trying to figure out how to get the Methodist or the Presbyterian or the Baptist church over the mountain is how do we retain a relationship with God and take that over the mountain into the next place, the next epoch, the next time. How do we continue to be spiritual in As relationship opposed to with God. How, uh, figuring out how we're going to take our raft. Exactly right. Because yeah. the individual construct that we're using, whatever tradition we call it, is just a raft. And it's not what's important. Unfortunately, it's become pretty important to a lot of people. Their, their raft is pretty important. And, and most people don't realize there's been no growth in Christianity since the 1970s in this country. I mean... Decline, um, mostly. Yeah, there, you've got... Uh, Pentecostals, and there's a whole theory behind that, that have shown growth, and Catholicism that's shown growth, but that really is an influx of 
people from other countries that are bringing that into this country as opposed to anybody that's actually converting, so yeah. to speak. But your mega churches are getting bigger. Your small churches of 100 or less are closing, and people are just literally moving around. But there's been no growth. And, the, and this younger generation, they embrace a little bit of everything. You know, they want a little Buddha. They want a little Jesus. They want a little history. They want a little symbolism. But they don't want to embrace one thing. And so traditional Christianity, evangelical Christianity anyway, is not attractive to the younger generation. They don't, they don't buy into it. Yeah. The thought of the Bible being metaphysical versus being literal is far more attractive. One of the things I like to think about when you talk about the Bible as a holy book, remember the word holy simply means belonging to God. And so I think of the Bible, uh, Max Lucado and uh, Randy Alcorn, I think, put together a book called The Story, which is an abbreviated, uh, what do you call it, an abridged version of the Bible that's chronologically arranged, uses NIV text, so it's scriptural language, but it just tells the story from beginning to end so that you can actually read it like you would read a book. Oh, that, I need is, to get that. That's awesome. That sounds awesome. That it's, so. it's wonderful because it's a continuous story about the journey of a people in faith. It starts over here in the beginning when mm-hmm. they don't have any faith and they're on this journey as they move along through time, mm-hmm. through experiences, and they reach a point where they're able to, if you're Christian, believe that Jesus was able to impart wisdom to them about how God truly wanted them to live their lives. And so then it continues on with the journey of the first church and its beginnings. Okay. So it's a story. So of is it a kind of similar faith. to the raft that, but then when you implement Jesus into it, then you let go of your raft and then move to your mountains? Is that kind of that? You, you could absolutely do that because, hmm. you know, you, you've reached that point where uh, if you use the thought of, I, I like to talk about when you're little, and you want to cross the street, you can't cross the street unless your mom is holding your hand, or right? Mm-hmm. right. And so that's the beginning of the story. Mm-hmm. Somewhere along the way, your parents say to you, well, you can cross the street, but you've got to look both ways. If you don't look both ways, I'm going to make you hold my hand. Mm-hmm. And you know how that works. It goes back and forth. Right. You know? And mm-hmm. so that's a lot of the Old Testament story. And then there's that point where you finally say, okay, here's the keys. And I would suggest that that's the part where Jesus mm-hmm. shows up in the story. Now, in relationship to the mountain, that's when something new has to happen. Now we've been doing this story for 2000 years, but change is the natural state of things. Everything changes, mm-hmm. right? I've got a great story, I love this. I, I have a book that I found in what I euphemistically call an antique store. You know, they're really <laughs> junk stores sometimes, you know? <laughs> but I found this old book on the shelf and it said, uh, World's Book of Knowledge. And I thought, oh, well, that's pretty impressive, you know? So I, I, I pulled it off the shelf so I could learn the world's knowledge, you know? And what it actually was, it was a yearbook to cover from the 1800s to 1900. So it was actually published in 1901. Okay. Oh, okay. It, it was all of the stories about all of the amazing things that had happened during the 1800s, which was the Industrial Revolution. Right, a lot. And so they were talking about crazy things. You're looking and you're going, wow, hot air balloons, huh? That's pretty cool, <laughs> you know? The important part was they talked about how human knowledge had doubled in 100 years. And they pointed out that throughout all of history, human knowledge hadn't doubled, really. Because people still traveled in boats, they still had to walk, they still, you know, mm-hmm. houses were built mm-hmm. out of stone and wood. I mean, 
basically things hadn't changed. Empires might rise and fall, but basically things hadn't changed. And so human knowledge had doubled in 100 years. Now what I think is really important for us to recognize is that if we get out our smartphone that's laying here on the table and we look up human knowledge doubling, we'll find out that it might be doubling every two to five years. And that's not wisdom. That's just knowledge and information. We have gone from a situation where if we're kind and we say five years, what took 100 years now happens six times in one 30-year generation. Mm -hmm. And so change is just moving at a breakneck speed. But church is still doing things the same way they did 50, 60, 70, 80 years ago. And so you might as well be talking to a young person and speaking in a language that they don't understand. Because yeah, the, that's the a things we say, yeah, yeah. The, the things we say don't, don't make any sense. And the things we do don't make any sense either. And I think in the last six years or so, that has become so illuminated. I mean, you can see it so clearly. Mm-hmm. That maybe was hidden or, you know, excuses made for, it was under the surface. But I think the, you know, the Trump era really has brought out, again, either it doesn't matter which side you're on on that, but the obvious discrepancies and a lot of beliefs of how they are different from other people and how they are certainly different from a younger generation and how they don't work. Again, I don't know much about church. And Mm -hmm. uh, so I went to a Quaker's church one time. And uh, again, the congregation probably was 20 years my senior. (laughs) They were just like, ah. You You pick a church to go to and it's a Quaker one. Yeah, well, you know, I'm a, what do I know? (laughs) But it... And it was really funny because they were so interested in, I don't know what you would call it, the dogma of the church. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, they were talking about how, you know, some of them have pastors and some of them don't. I mean, this is like what they're talking about in the the sermon, you know. And I'm just like, what's going on? So, I mean, it, it, I guess that's what I think when I think of church is it seems like a lot of politics. Mm. And do you see that in the church, or is that something that needs to be rectified? I, I love the idea that we're talking to people of a younger generation in a different language, because that's exactly what is happening. Is it because they, they're they so rooted in that historical, you know, kind of language that they can't break free from it? I think they're holding on to their raft as tight as possible. Yeah, they're holding on to their raft. We've always done it this way before. <laughs> I cut the ends off the ham. I don't know who said that, but I always think that's funny. It's like just to fit in the pan because nobody knows why we cut the ends off the ham. Exactly. You know, and the thing is, is that it's all about institutions when you get to that point. You know, it's all about preserving your institution, preserving your raft. You know, I I like the raft. I know how to use the raft. I want to keep using the raft. Ah, But but I can't use the raft anymore because here I am. I'm going to have to do something else. And so the thing we have to remember is, why are we here to begin with? Yeah, I think that question is lost because the question is, how do I keep my raft? How do I stay in my raft? God wants me to stay in my raft. God wouldn't have given me a raft if he didn't want me to stay in my raft. Yeah, Um, yeah, in fact, it's funny. I did a race, an adventure race years ago, and they gave us two blow-up rafts. We had three people, three bicycles, and all of our stuff. And they gave us these little itty-bitty plastic paddles. And we had to go across this lake. And then we had to go over this hill and into the creek and i'm like there is no way these people actually intended us to get in this raft we have plastic paddles and three bicycles 
There's no way. And there, and I had so much resistance from the other two people. One was an anesthesiologist. They were, you know, very intelligent people. I'm like, there's no way. And they're like, well, well, they wouldn't have given us a raft if they didn't want us to use it. No, they wanted you to think about how you were going to use it. And so we need to put figure out how we're going to use these paddles and make a, a rack on our bikes so we can put these rafts after we take the air out. But it went, we went hours several hours before finally convinced them to take the air out of the raft and put them on the bikes because they were afraid that what if we have to, what if when we turn them back in, they have to have air in them. What if we need the raft on the other side? Right. And then we're, you know, but, but it's not working right now. That was my thing was it's not working right now. We can't have three bicycles and two rafts and, and go up the street. So, but yeah, it was funny because the, were, it was really split in thirds. third of the people in the beginning never even put air in their raft. They were like, oh, I'm not doing this. And they took off. And those people won hours ahead of everybody else. There was like four or five teams that were with us that they finally took the air out of the raft. And there were teams that never even got off, off the lake. That they were like 16 hours that mm. they went like five miles with this raft. And, and so if you think about that in relationship to the things I was saying... They forgot where they were going. Right. Yeah, we, they forgot the, they were in a race. They what was were, the point? Right. They were fixated on how do we make this raft yeah. work, not how do we get to the finish line. So we're fixated on yep. our particulars instead of the, the focus. And the focus is to be connected to God. And the reason yeah. why you want to be connected to God is because you're looking for meaning. And that's really the key. I think people are seeking meaning in their lives. I would agree with that. And there's all different kinds of ways that people are trying to seek meaning. Pascal, the mathematician, talked about people having a uh, vacuum, an empty space that only God could fill. And that's become uh, what we talk about a God-shaped hole. But, but only God could fill that space. And people try to fill it with everything else. But what they don't fill it with is that spiritual connection with a power that's higher and greater that carries through the entire universe. That's what they need. That's what they're looking for. That's the experiences that lead people to become ministers. They have opportunities where something happens in their life where they can't explain it beyond saying, I feel like I've been connected to something that has greater meaning. But we don't Mm -hmm. teach people greater meaning. We teach them how to enjoy listening to the organ and the hymns and the liturgies that we've used and the same things that we've always done which is that language barrier, instead of saying, how do we help people today find real meaning in their life? How do we help them connect with that spiritual power that gives them peace, that helps them to recognize that they are important, that they're loved, that they're forgiven for the things that they think they've done, and that there's a real purpose in their life? Well, there's real resistance to that, because what if you think different? What if your purpose is different than me? That's going to be a problem. You can't think different because God's not different. God's very structured and God's in a, this is very small. And if you don't think the same way that I do. Then you're wrong. Then you're wrong. Yeah. And if, if you're wrong, because one of us has to be right, right? And if there's any part of what you think is right, then that means I'm going to be wrong and I can't be wrong because I'm going to go to hell if I'm wrong. Right. So yeah, there's a lot of fear around that mm-hmm. too. And that's, that comes back to the institutionalization. Exactly. Right? I mean, that comes back to the institutionalization. When um, the way I interpret the scripture is more important than what this scripture is asking us to do. You know, I mean, 
if you read the, they call them the red letter words, the words that yeah. they were supposedly Jesus's words. Of course, remember, Jesus spoke Aramaic. Blows my was, mind. I had no idea why those were red. Okay. <laughs> there, there you go. I was going to say, you, you might not know what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, I was like, because there's some are black, some are red. I'm like, what, yeah. what is that? Well, and it's important to recognize that Jesus probably spoke Aramaic and they were translated into Greek and then they're translated into English and then we try to figure out what they mean. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And sometimes often without the context of where they were said and what the situations were that were going on. But in any event, there are, if you think back to the book, I talk about the story. Mm-hmm. There's an overarching story. There's an overarching theme about growing closer to God throughout the entire thing. Jesus is supposed to be, in the Christian story, the culmination of all of those scriptures. He's the living example of what it means to live the way God wants us to live. And he says, the main thing to do is to love your neighbor. That's it. There's oh, all yeah. kinds of red letter words in there, but Jesus essentially says, the most important thing is to love your neighbor. If you're doing that, then you're living out the scriptures. And so we have our institutions that we love more than our neighbor. And so we're all focused on our institutions and making sure that we maintain our institutions and that my translation, my interpretation, your we get all hung up on that and we miss the really important things because if we were really concerned about our neighbor, there probably wouldn't be any hungry kids in our community. Well, absolutely. And right. what would happen if right. all of the faith communities decided decided there aren't going to be hungry kids in our community that will not stand regardless of our raft regardless mm-hmm. of our construct regardless of that can't stand we're not going to allow that together we are stronger our diversity comes together we are stronger and we can take care of these children what could be more important but we spend a lot of time being concerned about our buildings our rafts our our institutions. And blame on why the kids are hungry yeah. and whose fault that is yeah. rather than feeding a hungry kid. Yeah, I would think that that would be part of the whole, I guess, politics of it all. Because if you have somebody in the church that doesn't believe that the X, Y, or Z should happen, then that just gets, mm-hmm. I don't know, thrown around. Mm-hmm. And ne- next thing you know, everybody's up in a tivy, so nobody does anything. But that's my example because, like I say, I have no actual... <laughs> well, and, and in a community of faith that is focused on using Jesus as an example, actually trying to live the life that Jesus shows us as an example of what God's called us to be, what you'll find is is that their focus isn't on the politics of the situation because the politics aren't important. Right, right. They're not concerned about whether or not this can be done financially. Their focus is on what is it that they believe they're being called to do. And called means I'm here at a unique place in a unique time with unique gifts and skills. I'm surrounded by a group of people who are also in this space with unique gifts and skills. We're all together. What is it that we can do that no one else can do to make a difference in our world? And I think that that's a call. Absolutely. And when we live into that call, then I think we're following what God has put us here to do. And we'll find that crazy, amazing things can happen. Metaphysical things, things that shouldn't be able to happen because you're plugged into that power source that created the universe. And if you've got that kind of uh, uh, voltage behind you, anything can happen. But I think it can only happen if you're actually focused on being what it is that you've been made to be, not 
being concerned about your institution. So as a pastor, you, you go to seminary, you learn all that you can, and because your, I guess, internal mission statement was to help, uh, was to speak the Word of God, if it were. How does that change once you get into the church? Does it? I mean, does it, it should it? I don't know. Well, right now there's a lot of difficulty. I mean, COVID um, required pastors to do things that aren't the things that they thought they were signing up for, if you will. Oh, absolutely, you yeah. Know? So it's been a really difficult time. There's lots of uh, burnout, uh, lots of people who are particularly frustrated because they feel like we're too focused on structures. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm actually uh, been visiting with someone who's doing coaching on burnout, and he says the reason he's doing that, he's a clergy person, is he's trying to prevent suicides of pastors. Wow. Well, people don't realize that divorce rates drug addiction rates, alcoholism are the same, if not higher within ministry, even evangelical ministry than it is in the general population. We just don't discuss that, but that those statistics are the same, if not more and suicide rates. It it is a profession in jeopardy that it has been for 20 years. Well, and um, the credibility of a pastor has been reduced to the credibility of a used car salesman. Mm, When you ask people about respecting, so that's a difficulty too. That's a great analogy. That is. The problem is, is that you're there because you want to help people find meaning in their life. You want them to find how they can be holy. And remember I said, that means belonging to God. Mm -hmm. You want them to be able to mark the uh, important dates, the joys and the sorrows, be able to uh, separate them from the mundane and recognize that they're important and that their life has meaning and that the lives of their friends have had and will have meaning. But instead, we spend all of our time trying to figure out how we're going to uh, repair the building and pave the parking lot. I guess that's my point is as a pastor, and again, I, uh, this is my simple-mindedness to it, is that you get into this for that very reason and then obviously something I would assume changes with this because yeah I, I don't understand why as a pastor you would you have to worry about how the parking lot gets repaved I, I would assume that there's entities that do that but at the same time how does a pastor feel or keep their mental health in check because I mean you are taking on a lot I most mean, don't yeah, a lot of folks Statistically, don't. most don't. A lot of folks have difficulty with it. And remember, as, as Christy was saying, pastors and communities of faith are part of the culture. And so whatever the problems are of the culture in any particular place, you can represent that those things are happening within the culture of, mm-hmm. of a faith community. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing that's important is, is that if you're, as clergy, there's lots of difficulty. But the point is, is that I really believe that I was um, called, to use that word, I mm-hmm. was I was called to do what I can to help people live the best life in a faith way that -hmm. they possibly can. How can I help this person to connect with God and live the best life they possibly can? And so whether or not I'm able to take care of the 200 people in the larger community, or I'm able to take care of one person and help that person transform themselves, it doesn't take a whole community to make it valuable. You You can only do the thing that's there for you to do. And so that's what a lot of pastors have forgotten and they're struggling. What you have to remember is, is that it doesn't have to be everything. All you have to do 
just help the person that's there in front of you. That's a good point. So, so they're thinking a lot of times big picture. Institutional. Yeah. The raft, right? Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't have to worry about the raft. Though the raft takes up a lot of time. <laughs> yeah. Right. You know, but when we can let go of the raft and start saying, okay, so the future is going to be different. This isn't going to be how it's going to look. You know, and so uh, we collect the people that we can. We were ready to climb the mountain with us, and that's what we do. So, how do you keep your faith and keep focused? That's where you have to rely on um, being part of a community that supports you. I think, and that's one of the things that Jeanette and I have found in being able to get involved in spiritual retreats and other opportunities where we have a community of people who are also trying to do the same thing. Christy and I were in a doctoral program together, and in that program, one of the things that I heard that was most useful was the idea that uh, the doctoral degree itself wasn't as important as the fact that it offered you a crowbar to open doors. Yeah, and it does. Absolutely. The titles do matter in our society. (laughs) So the same as pastor does. Same for pastor. That gives you the opportunity to open doors and be in places where you have an opportunity to do something. Um, not often that they're going to let someone who's not clergy walk up and down the emergency room halls. It's an opportunity to make a difference. And it's an opportunity to help take care of the people that you can. You're not going to get everybody to get off the raft. Ah, okay, okay. Yeah. That makes sense. But as a pastor, you have the ability to make a difference in the lives of some of the people that are there. And as I've said before, the thing that's so important is it's not that you can help everybody, but there are people that you will be able to help. And so you do the ones that you can. You help where you can, you make a difference where you can, and you have to operate under the premise that it will be enough. Well, and how is that not simple enough? I mean, I gotta tell you, it seems like a very simple concept. I would imagine, and I don't know this to be true, that if a church actually forms, they must have some sort of mission statement to that level that you want to help the community, you want to be there for people in need or whatever that mission statement is. And then I would assume it gets morphed into something different because like we've talked about earlier in the show, that the decline in Christianity is very pronounced. However, the need for this is very real because on YouTube, their biggest videos are of people being kind. 12. 25 million views. There's a need for this that's not being filled, obviously, by the church since there's a decline, but it's being done by YouTube. So how do we kind of like steer, not the raft, but people that are on the raft, off the raft, or back onto a different raft? Well, how do we get them to start walking up the mountain? Yeah. Yeah. Because that's the YouTube videos that are getting 25 million views. Exactly. Are people getting out of the raft walking up the mountain, not holding, and there and there are probably 25 million people of people that are sitting in a raft. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You know, that just don't have the courage to walk up the mountain. Well, because of whatever reason, I don't know what those are, but you know, you, you witness this. What are some of the things that we could strive for? Because what you are saying makes perfect sense and it's very simple. And I don't know how simple turns into complicated so easily sometimes you ever worked with a group of six people well (laughs) exactly okay yep fair fair point fair point you know and the other thing that's important to recognize is that people do things that they find comfortable you know and in a world especially like ours right now where there's so many things that are uncomfortable 
the faith community you've been part of for a long time, being the way it's always been, is a comfort. It's, uh, it's a place that feels safe and secure, and everything else may be falling apart, but this isn't, this is still safe. And so that's why they're still on the raft. Well, and how difficult it is, you have 15 people in the raft, and you take off with two people, and you just leave them behind. And that's what you have to do. That's what he's saying of, of helping that one in front of you. Mm-hmm. And the other, you know, 13 people in the raft, you got to just let them go. And that is very, very, very difficult. Yeah. And, and it doesn't mean that there's anything negative about where they are or what they're doing. It's just mm-hmm. that that's where they are. And if you're trying to move to the future, you're going to have to figure out how to take the people that'll go and climb the mountain. Yeah. You just have to. And the thing is, is that you see stories of this in the scriptures over and over and over again. I mean, Moses went out in the wilderness and all of the people that came with him, they didn't get to the promised land. They didn't mm-hmm. make it. And so whether you do or you don't make it to the next place, the next part of the journey, the other side of the Rocky Mountains, mm-hmm. the next iteration of the church, whether that's what happens or not, isn't as important as back to the story. We're all part of the story. The story isn't just what was in that book. There's another 2,000 years worth of story in Catholic tradition, in Protestant tradition, in Reformed tradition, where the story is continued. And so we're still part of that story. And so the question isn't, is this what we ought to be doing because it benefits our institution? Or this is what we need to be doing because this is what we believe. This is our faith. And the thing that's interesting, too, is is that um, uh, Harold Kushner wrote a book recently where he talked about the nine things he's learned in his career. And Harold Kushner is the rabbi who wrote When Bad Things Happen to Good People, when, mm-hmm. his, when his son died. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that he was talking about and one of the things that he had learned is that we have translated the word in the Hebrew text, believe. And he says, in its context and its usage today, he thinks a better word would be trust. And so we spend a lot of time trying to figure out what is true with a capital T, what we believe. We keep trying to mark off a checklist. And really what Kushner's saying, I think, is that we just need to trust that God is there. God has a plan for us to do something that's meaningful. It doesn't mean that it will be easy. It doesn't mean that it will lead us to nirvana. It means that we have something to do. We're part of the story. We get to be Part we get to love story. our neighbor. We get to. And, and, and Jesus' message, the gospel, actually means the good news. And he talks about it being that the kingdom of God is already here. So the good news from Jesus is it's already here and you get to be part of it. You've been invited to be part of bringing the kingdom of God to earth. You, you can. You can be part of it. And it doesn't mean sustaining your institution. So many churches have come and gone. And we know that the laws of physics and the law of spirit both say that nothing is ever destroyed. It's only transformed. And so being so concerned about what is next is less important than figuring out how am I part of what's going on now. Do we lose sight of that? We've misplaced that. We spend a lot of time. I think society, not even beyond church, I think we've all kind of lost sight of that. that Because as we talk about you know, being in the moment, you know, mm-hmm. but we don't. We live in the past, we live in the future, or we, we exist there. We don't live in the, either one of those places, but we don't stay here long enough to actually live. And we're very transactional. I mean, a lot yeah. of the traditions, a lot of the faith traditions, 
basically they want to get out a hell free card. Yeah, yeah based on yeah. what somebody else tells them that card is. Yeah, but that's too small. God is much bigger than that. Yeah. I think what's important is, is that the way I read the red letters, the things that Jesus said, is, is that it's not so much about eternal life, it's about living your life here and there's more. You don't have to worry about it. When you look at the story of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, the resurrection is, I think, saying, you don't need to be afraid. If you're doing what you need to do, you don't have to be afraid. Even if they take away your physical body, that part of you that's most important goes on. Yeah. And so that's freeing you to do the right thing. That's freeing you to be able to feed the children to do what needs to be done, to make a difference, to love your neighbor, to be Jesus for people who need Jesus. There are so many people who are so lost and empty, drug addictions, suicides. Absolutely. I mean, you know, and I think that the story of Jesus has an opportunity to help people find meaning in their life. There are lots of ways that the story of Jesus has been used to harm people, but that's not the story of Jesus. So it's good to know that there are people out there that do want to make a change, right? Because it, and I imagine that some of the young pastors coming out actually want this change to happen. So maybe you will have an influx of that. I don't know. Well, the thing with coming out of seminary stuff, education has not changed in 100 years. <laughs> um, that was a big part of my dissertation was, that's part of the problem is we're not teaching people that it's not about the raft. Certainly would make sense if that's what they want you to teach. Well, that's all they teach is the raft. Yeah. Is that correct? Pretty much? Pretty much. But what's amazing is, is that if you have come for a purpose, mm -hmm. you'll, you'll find the other avenues. You'll find the retreat centers, like Jeanette and I, uh, my wife and I had uh, last week where we went on a week-long retreat. Mm -hmm. There's places to go where you connect with people who are trying to figure out what, what God really has in store for us. Mm -hmm. And you know, the thing that's funny is, is that when you talk about an influx, things move really slow. You know, an mm -hmm. influx to God, I don't think necessarily means 10 years from now. You know, things can move pretty slow. It doesn't have to be big and it doesn't have to be fast. We just do the things we can do. You know that, Christy. Ordinary people make extraordinary things happen. Absolutely, yeah. And if all of us, or lots of us, just did the thing that we could do, think how much better things would be. Well, especially if you can simplify your complications, mm -hmm. right? Because I mean, yeah. what you have said was a very simple mission statement. Mm -hmm. It does blow me away, like you said, when you get six people involved, how that can get very convoluted very fast. But I think that as an individual, if you can keep your individual mission statement simple, like feed the children, mm -hmm. yeah. then the well, children we talk all the feed. time about love and compassion and being you know, just smiling to the stranger on the street and acknowledging them for the place on the planet that they hold. Mm -hmm. You don't have to give them money. You don't have to bring them home. Right. Um, you just need to acknowledge their existence and that gives them a sense of life, mm. right? That they do exist. They matter. They matter mm -hmm. because they do matter. Yeah. But we turn our head and shun ourselves away and we don't want to talk to the homeless person and um, all the stigmas that come around that and that I think that is a good place to start mm -hmm. is simply as you said as simple as love thy neighbor yeah again that doesn't mean bring it home and give them a job and put them on your life insurance I mean it means just 
be kind to them. Yeah. Just it, if we had more kindness of just simply being kind, yeah. it helps people trust to get out of the raft. Yeah. Do do the thing that you can do. And of yeah. course, as a Christian, I believe that it's important that the individual needs to be intentional. Their their mm-hmm. trust, their faith, their ideology is, is that they know that there's something more and they want to share that something more with that person. And that doesn't yeah. mean that they have to uh, get the bullhorn out and preach a sermon to them on the street corner. But if you love someone, if you care for someone, there's going to be an opportunity where they're going to say, why in the world are you doing this? Because I just want you to know that I think Jesus loves you. And I think I'm here to help you find a better way. Yeah. That's the opportunity to help them get out of the raft. But it's by example. Yeah, it's yeah, by I loving. That. It's by loving my neighbor. And yeah. You can't write a dissertation and change their mind. You can't write a play. You can't live a false life. You have to authentically care about people. And you know people can tell when you're not authentic. Well, that was one of the big things, bringing it back to the prison and the, the chits on your key ring, was that people in prison know fake. Fast. They know if, if you're authentic or not very, very quickly. And that was a big learning curve for me, too. Of you know, You're, you're not going to have a facade and mm-hmm. be successful in an environment. You're not going to be successful if you're not being who you really are. You, you can't fool everybody all the time. Well, I'll tell you a story that you would appreciate, and I won't use his name, but it's somebody that you and I both know from uh, when I was running the program over in the Newcastle facility. And, you know, it's about authentic. When you say what you're going to do, you need to do what you said you would do, Mm -hmm. right? You need to be authentic. And it was so interesting because after I had left the program and gone to seminary, I had a phone call where his family asked if I would come and uh, testify for him at a probation hearing. I had told them that he was important right? Mm-hmm. And he was. Mm-hmm. And so I did. That didn't cost me anything, but it meant everything to him because I did what I said I would do. I told him he was important and he knew that I meant that. And what was so funny is, is that as I went through the next seven years of the process of becoming ordained, and it's pretty brutal, I had reached the last interview. I knew that I was going to pass and that I was going to move forward and be ordained. But we had two hours to kill. And so we went over to the Children's Museum because it was close just to hang out for a couple hours and get a hot dog and, Mm -hmm. you know. And I heard someone say, Mr. Branson. And I turned around and there he was with his wife and his two children. That's awesome. And so we sat with them and had lunch and celebrated that the things that we had done had made a difference. Mm -hmm. And he was living a healthy life and he was grateful for the love that we had given and it was being sent out into the world through him and his family. That's Christian love. That's what it should be. I agree with you and I think that's what happens too often is we get cynical. Well, yeah, that's great that that's that story, but what about the 20 other stories that didn't? But like you said earlier, you help the ones you can help. Mm And that, that, that's all you can do. It, 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 this, this worked for him. You got to have lunch with somebody that you helped. And it, that's awesome. But yeah, it, it's like stop the cynical part of you and just be okay with that moment. Mm-hmm. And what a gift for you. I mean, exactly. that, that was definitely for, for you, yeah. you know, at that moment, yeah. especially with what you had been going through. And those are how pastors move forward. Yeah. You I would those, imagine. You, you get those gifts. I and would you go, imagine. Okay. I I get it. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Just like the starfish story. You know the starfish story, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, the little boys walking along the beach throwing the starfish back into mm-hmm. the ocean 
And the old man says, so you know, I don't think you're going to make much of a difference. And the little boy picks up one of the starfish and he throws it into the ocean. He said it made a difference for that one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. We just do what we can do. But I think it has to be done with intentional faith and trust and recognizing that there's something bigger that's at play here and we get to be part of it. Well, I think a lot of people understand or at least believe that there is something bigger, but they don't make the effort to be part of that better. Remember I said I was away from church for 30 years yeah, because I didn't care for the people who took care of God's house. You know, there's lots of folks who've had negative experiences with those six mm-hmm. people and they've let that drive a wedge between them and the opportunities that they could have, you know? Right. Very good point. And so uh, I guess maybe the, the answer is, is for those people that are on the raft, for those people that haven't even got a raft, we just need to just just be ourselves and, and do what we can do. And, you know, I, I think that that's a message that people want to hear. Oh, I, I as Mark said that. earlier, I think it's a message that people want to hear, need to hear, need an yeah. example of, and yeah. are starving for. Yeah. And the story of Jesus is a wonderful example of how you live a life of love. Absolutely. So that's my example. Um, <laughs> you know, and the thing is, is you, I, I just think that um, if we're if we're plugged in and we're paying attention, we'll see things. Every day you will see it if you look for it. Yeah. 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 There and are kind people. Yeah. And it's easy not to. Wow. Oh, it is. Je- Jeanette will tell you that my glass is half empty a lot of times. <laughs> well, you know? we all have but, those moments. But when you least expect it, you turn around and go, ha, huh, that really worked. We did a show called Magic Still Happens from a friend of mine's recording artist in Nashville, and we took the song apart. And that's basically what it says is that, you know, one kid took a five out of his pocket just to simply pay for something for an, grapes for an old woman or whatever mm-hmm. it was, and how that rippled all the way through of just people observing and people making a difference based on that one example. And that, that's all that it is. Just do one kind thing today. Just yeah. one. It doesn't have to cost you no, anything. Exactly. Smile to the stranger on the street to actually see them costs you nothing. But it's worth everything. It is, absolutely. Well, thank you so much. This has been wonderful. I got to tell you, very enlightening for me. So I really appreciate you coming on the show and talking about this. I think that a lot of people are going to get a lot out of this because I know I certainly did. Well, it's been fun. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So we're about out of time for this show, and we have some great news. Starting January 1st, 2022, you can find our show at livingonpurposepodcast.com or any of the podcast platform like Spotify, Google Play, iTunes, Stitcher. Just search Living On Purpose Podcast and subscribe to the podcast or look us up on Facebook and give us a like and let us know what you want to add to this new show. That's right. So live every day of your life. On purpose. On purpose.